Welcome. Hey, I'm glad you're here. We're starting a brand new series today called Family Matters because family matters. There we go. Very good. Um, I, need to, I need to just kind of, kind of just settle some minds as we, as we dive in today. Uh, see, a lot of times when a pastor says we're going to talk about family, you think, all right, he's going to talk about marriage. And we will. But if you're in a family... Raise your hand. So this is for you. And all of our, you know, the dynamics of our family may look different. Uh, Maybe your family is you surrounded by people who don't share your last name. That's a family. Maybe the family that you have is who you're sitting with in church today. That's okay. I want you to know that what we're going to talk about today and what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks applies to you. Now, we're going to dig into the weeds a little bit about some marriage stuff and some other stuff. But today and for the rest of our time together, I need you to know this is for you. Look at somebody and say, this is for you. Turn to your second choice and tell them this is for you too. All right. This passage is going to kind of guide us all the way through this series, and it's found in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today who you'll serve. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And I pray that over the next several weeks, and and I know maybe you make that declaration already today, but I pray that all of us, and notice I said us, I pray that all of us make that declaration with an extreme amount of conviction by the time we are done. Several years ago, we did a series here called Our Imperfect Family, and we went through the whole Bible trying to find a perfect family. Guess how many we found? Zero. There are no perfect families. There's, there weren't any then, and there aren't any now. Yours isn't perfect. Mine is not perfect. And so let's just settle that all of us need transformation. Let's all agree that our families could use transformation. Now, now, I'm not talking about a new house. Some of you need a new house, but that's not what we're talking about. Some of you need a new car. That's not what we're talking about. Some of you watching online who are very close to me have a new baby. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking... Yeah, our families have brand, you know, sometimes crazy dynamics. I, let me prove it. Um, don't, well, don't raise your hand. We've all got a crazy uncle, crazy cousin, crazy sibling. Is that true that there's some crazy in your family? And and listen, I don't want to break your heart, but if you're in here and you're like, I can't think of anybody crazy in my family, they're all thinking about you. Can Can I just tell you from my pastor's heart? Let me tell you what our families need above finances and above homes and cars and education and all of those wonderful things. We need revival, y'all. We need revival in our families. We need revival in our churches. So that's what this series is all about. How can you and I and our families, how can we, wow, how can we live lives? Let me explain it like this. Family Matters is a conversation about two things. It's a conversation about substance and significance, all right? Think about that word matters. All right, if I were to talk about the matters of the heart, 
What am I talking about? I'm talking about things that make up the heart, the, the, the circumstances around my, what's going on in my heart. But if I were to say, hey, listen, you matter, that means that you have significance in my life. And so when we say the word family matters, we mean it from both, uh, both ends of that spectrum. That we're going to talk about what are the important substances of our, of our families and why is it so stinking important? Because it is. It's critical. Don and I have been talking to families for a very long time. The first, the first class we ever taught, before anybody called me pastor, we taught a married couples class at our home church. And can I tell you, it was, we did awful. We were, yes, we were the youngest ones in there, been married the least amount of time, and usually fought on the way to teach the married couple class. So regardless, it's a big deal, and I think over the next, next little while, you'll see. Um, the family dynamic has changed a lot in the last two generations. So that, that would be my dad's generation and my generation, and that, and that span of time I know you're going to find this hard to believe, so just get ready. I am 57 years old. I know. I, I know. I know. Just let that settle for a minute. So my dad is born in 1929. So from 1929 to 2024, can I tell you, a lot has changed in, in, in the family dynamic. In 1943, Norman, Norman Rockwell painted one of his most famous paintings. It was about Thanksgiving around the American family table. It looked like this. Aww. Isn't that cool? Can I, who said that? Who says so? Yes, it is so unrealistic. In fact, in fact, it, it, it probably looks more like this. Is that a little closer to what it, might, what it might look like? Yeah. The family dynamic has changed dramatically. But guess what? It's, we, we still live and, and work and breathe in that dynamic of family, and that's what we're going to talk about. I told you substance. I told you significance. Say substance. substance. Say significance. Okay. We're going to talk about both those things today. The first substance that we're going to talk about during this series is faith. Faith. Now listen, you're not going to hear me say something that you've never heard me say before today. I will tell you that regardless of what your family dynamic looks like, whether you've been married one time, two times, four times, ain't no more times for me, some of you going to say. I, regardless of children, no children, grandchildren, no grandchildren, single, single again, regardless of your family dynamic, whatever your family looks like, the most important substance, the most, what's the right word, the, the most influential substance, the most uh, incredibly transformational substance in your family is faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it this way. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let's talk about that word now. What does that word now mean? Now. That's not what that word means. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Um, all right. Those of you that are my age will remember a Saturday morning cartoon um, called Schoolhouse Rock. Anybody remember some Schoolhouse Rock? Three of us remember Schoolhouse Rock. Oh, golly. There, come on, that, that, that was, that's the song. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? 
golly, y'all are awesome. That word now is a conjunction like and, but, however. And, and so what does a conjunction do? It ties two thoughts together, does it? So, but you're at the beginning of the chapter, so you don't know what the other thought is. Well, I'm going to tell you what the other thought is. The other thought, the chapter 10 was all about walking through difficult times and having perseverance. And then he said, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, he's telling us, if you're going to walk through the challenges of this life, what's going to get you there is your faith. It's the substance of what you hope for and what you can't see. That word substance, that's, it means confidence. It means reality. It means assurance. It means that faith comprehends as fact what cannot be expressed by the physical. Faith, faith. Well, let's talk about faith. What is faith? In the context of those that are following Christ, faith is not some false hope. We, we, do, we use that word faith a lot. And, and listen, I'm, I'm about to enter a very sad season in my life. Because next Sunday, football season is over. Who cares about racing? <laughs> oh, I can turn left. Woo. Okay, I'm sorry. I just offended half the room. Football season's over. Baseball season has started. So I'm in this, I'm in this little. So you guys know how I am about, about sports and stuff like that. And, and sometimes you just you, you watch your team with faith. That's not the kind of faith we're talking about. You look out the window and think, uh, it's, it's supposed to rain. I was on my AccuWeather. It's supposed to rain. And, and we, we think it's going to. That's not the that's not the kind of faith I'm talking about either. Faith in this context for the believer is a conviction that something is true. I have a conviction that Christ Jesus is everything he said he was. I have a conviction that Jesus is who he says he was and will do what he said he would do. That's where my faith lies. That's where my assurance lies, my confidence, my reality that will help me walk through the difficult seasons of life is my conviction that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. What does that look like? In the context of our families. I'm glad you asked. Write this down. The greatest gift I can give my family is to help them understand what it means to live by faith. What does it mean to live by faith? And if you're in the room and you're connected to a family and everyone said that we were, you have an obligation to those in your family. And the obligation that you have to those in your family is to help them understand what it means to live by faith. And can I tell you, it is easy to walk in this room and fake it. It's easy. You come in and you can paint on a smile and you can tote a big old heavy Bible. And you can fake all of these people. You can't do that with somebody you live with. See, the people that know you best know if you're the real deal or not. The people that 
that you live your life, that you do your life with, understand who you are. And so I'm going to challenge you and challenge me and challenge our church that we have an obligation to help others understand what it means to... Now, now listen, I didn't tell you that you have an obligation to, to show them what it looks like to be a good church member. I, I didn't tell you you have an obligation to show them what it, what it looks like to you know, teach a class or to help open the door. All those things are great. I'm talking about seven days a week, 24 hours a day. What, it, what does it look like? To live by faith. And that's what we need to show our families. Galatians 2 and 20 says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Uh Oh, here we go. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. I live this life now by faith. The conviction of truth that I have and who Christ is, is in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, I, I guess what I'm trying to communicate with you and with us is that the time has far spent for us to have a one-hour-a-week faith. That if, if we're, and we, we all agree together that our families need transformation, if that's really going to happen, then somebody has to lead the way. Somebody has to be the point person to model and display what a life of faith looks like. You know, it's easy to have faith and and to be expressive about your faith when all the bills are paid and the children are behaving and everything looks good and nice and rosy. But if we were to take a poll in this room, some of you went through some junk this past year. What does it look like in the middle of a difficult time? What is having faith? Because I can, if I were to give you my family's history from the time Don and I got married, you know, we've had moments of tremendous triumph and moments of colossal failure. Moments when all was well and moments when all was hell. And I'm Maybe, I don't want to presume anything, but yours is, probably looks a lot like that as well. So what do you, what's, what's the foundation? What's the common denominator that's present when all is well and is present when we walk through the storms of life and everything in between? Well, it ought to be for the follower of Christ, for the believer, for the Christian, it ought to be faith. I'll say it like this. Write this down. We live our lives by the filter of faith. By the filter. Let me tell you what I mean by that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says it this way. For we live by faith, not by sight. That means we walk by the truth of our convictions and the convictions of our truth, not by what we see hear, taste, smell, touch. How many know all of those senses will lie to you? The world is not always like what you see it is. 
not always what you hear, and, and especially today. Come on. How, how many know that there's voices all around you? You, you know, you can, depending on, on how you absorb media, you can, you can hear about how one politician is the greatest thing since sliced bread, flip the channel, and he's the devil. Right? So who are you going to listen to? Who are you going to listen to? We walk by faith, the truth of our conviction, not by all the noise. What's true? So what if in 2024? Is that, can I just, all right, y'all know me. I'm, I got attention issues, and so sometimes I got to chase a squirrel. Does that sound crazy, just saying 2024? It's insane, isn't it? I don't know when it started happening, but at some point the calendar pages started flipping like crazy. And so here we are in 2024. What if in this year, this year, look at somebody say this year. What if in this year we all collectively made a choice for our families? That we were going to let our faith in Christ be the filter for every decision we made? What would our lives look like? See, I bet if we, if we were all sitting around a coffee table and, and I could say, has there ever been a time when uh, you, you ignored the voice of God and did things your own way? How did that work for you? See, I, I think, what if, what if collectively as a as a, as a church family, as, as the big C church, as your individual family, my individual family, what if we made the choice to let our faith, our conviction that Jesus is who he says he was, what if we let that conviction, that faith, guide every decision we make? What if we let that decide where we're going to live and how we spend our money and how we discipline our children? What if that was the primary filter? What if we do what Pastor Dwayne says and listen to God, do what he says? What if this was the year that I made that choice for my family? I don't know what the end of the year would look like for you. But, but I've, been, I've been in two places in my life. I have been inside God's will and I have been outside of God's will. And I will tell you that my life works better when I'm inside God's will. What does that look like? We're in an election year, by the way. Easy. Easy. We're in an election year, right? Can I, can I just tick everybody in the room off? Stop complaining about your country. Stop complaining about who's in the White House. Stop complaining about who's not in the White House. I want you to listen to me carefully. The reason our country's in trouble is because our families are in trouble. So before we point our finger, let's do what Jesus said and get the log out of our own eye. Let's get our before we start casting dispersion on whoever's in office locally, nationally, in our state, before we cast any of those dispersions, 
Am I living by the same standard I'm trying to hold them to? I've heard people say to me this past year, man, this, the church is in trouble. And, and listen, if you've got streaming surfaces, uh, uh, you know, and your, is your entertainment, and we do too, and you don't have to look very far to find a documentary about a church or how the church is in trouble. That not hard to find. I'm going to say, stop. Here's why. Guess what? Every one of those churches that are in trouble have made, are made up of families. As the family goes, so goes the church. As the church goes, so goes our nation. So before, listen, I'm, I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm not telling you not to be passionate about your candidate. You need to, all right? We need you to be, be civilly minded and do all of those things. But can I, can I implore you to do one thing? Put as much energy into your family. Put more energy into your family. Because I'm going to tell you that, that I, I, I have a conviction that what this country desperately needs is, is not another politician. Come on. There's never been a politician that was able to fix a sin problem. There's only one thing that can fix families that are broken and hurting. And that's when we place our conviction of truth, our faith, in the only one that can make transformation take place in your family and mine. Can I tell you, I love to talk uh, to, to couples about their marriage. I love that. I, I love to do premarital counseling. Somebody's, I was doing that one time, and they said, are you trying to talk us out of getting married? And I said, well, if I can talk you out of getting married, you got no business getting married to begin with. <laughs> and, and all of those skills are important, and, and, and we need to learn them, but can I just tell you? It doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. If we haven't understood what it means to walk and live and, and live this life by faith in Christ Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. That's why family matters. Let's have revival in our families and watch the tenor of our country change. Especially if you, you know, has our country done everything right? No. No. We've done some very stupid, heartless, awful things. What if, what if our nation turned its ear, its heart toward God again? That will never happen until your family and my family does that. We lead our families, write this down, we lead our families by faith and to faith. Hebrews chapter 12 says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. 
Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God, beside God's throne. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Could it be that simple that we focus our eyes on Christ? We focus our families on Christ. We live our lives through the faith, through the filter of faith. Could it we make him the hub of the wheel? Could it be that simple? And it's not simple, but yes, it can be that. When you and I, when you and I learn to serve and lead at the same time. We learn to serve our families and lead them to the cross of Christ. Again, all of our family dynamics are different. But I need you to hear this part. You know, I used to hate it when preachers would say, if you hadn't heard anything else I've heard, I've said today, hear this. So I don't say that. But if you haven't, no, I'm just kidding. I, I do want you to lean into this thought. How many believe that as Christians we're on a mission field? Yeah. Right? Yes, because you are. Your first and greatest mission field is your family. If you have children in your home, if you have grandchildren, can I tell you, I, and, and some of y'all told me what it was like to have grandchildren. It's, it's crazy. It is the most beautiful relationship. It's, it's wonderful. But can I tell you, I, and I want to see my grandchildren grow up to do great things in their life. But can I tell you, I have one concern for them. And it's not that they graduate from the greatest college on the planet, University of Georgia. It's not that, I, that they graduate. <laughs> It's, that's not, that's not my, great, my greatest joy for them is that a million years from tonight we can all have a reunion. Yeah. Is that they know Jesus and they live their lives by faith. So if you've got children, you've got grandchildren, you've got somebody in your family that is far from God, that's your mission field. To lead them and love them by faith and to faith. And, and lastly, here, here we go. I want you to write this down. Genuine faith sustains. <clears throat> Jesus said to them in John 6 and 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And I need to let you know that Jesus often spoke in illustrations and allegory. He wasn't just talking about bread and water. So listen, I'm, I'm looking across this room. Ain't a lot of hungry people here. Right? He's not talking about bread and water. He's talking about the most basic human need. Think of your most basic need in your life, and Jesus is that. So, I, I thought, as I was putting this sermon together, what is, what, is, what is that? And we could come up with a lot of different things. 
companionship and love and respect. And we can look. But I'm just going to tell you from, from people I've talked to this year. Here's the question I hear. How do, how do I navigate life when I'm lost? How do, I, how do I get through this season when I don't know where to go? And I don't know who to listen to. There's so many voices in my head. Pastor Dwayne, please tell me where I can find direction. And listen, I love you, and I wish I could say, well, here's what you need to do. I don't always know. But I heard a story that I think illustrates just, just how we need to respond in those, in those moments. And I think, I think I've shared this story one time years ago, but it, it, just, it just fits, especially if you're here. And, and you would say, Dwayne, I, my family and I are in a difficult season. We're in a, a stormy season. Or maybe you would say, Dwayne, uh, there, there are people in my family who are far from God. How many know that's a storm in itself? So I want to share this story with you. And the story is told as true by a man by the name of Dr. David Gibbs. Dr. Gibbs is the founder of the Christian Law Association, and he had found himself in Anchorage, Alaska, working on a lawsuit with another lawyer. And Dr. Gibbs had flown to the Aleutian Islands, which are just south and west of the, the mainland of Alaska, and had finished his work there and was preparing to fly back to Anchorage. Had a plane ticket in his hand. And was approached by a pastor and said, Dr. Gibbs, I'd like to save you some money. And Dr. Gibbs said, uh, sure, what, how can you save me some money? He said, I flew my personal small uh, aircraft here and I'm going back to Anchorage, you could get a refund for your ticket and you could just fly back with me, you and your friend. We have, we have plenty of room. Dr. Gibbs hesitated, as would you. You don't know this guy. He doesn't know you. It's a small airplane. I'm all about getting on the big 740 whatever. Those little puddle jumpers, I'm not so sure. But The pastor um, convinced Dr. Gibbs to get on the plane. And so they were, they, they took off, and for the first four or five minutes, everything was just fine. And they're flying into the clouds. It was a cloudy day. And all of a sudden, the pilot, so there's three people on board, the pilot, Dr. Gibbs, and Dr. Gibbs' friend. The pilot looked at Dr. Gibbs, and his eyes rolled back in his head, and he passed out cold. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a bad day. So they did what you would do. They're smacking him around and trying to wake him up. Wouldn't you? I would do all I could and to, to no avail. To no avail. Just not waking up. And so they did what you or I would do. They picked up a radio and went, help, help, help. Somebody came back across the radio and said, don't you know anything about proper radio etiquette? And he said, no. 
I don't know anything about et etiquette. We're in a plane, and the only person who knows how to fly it is passed out cold. Help, help, help. <laughs> they get in touch with an emergency air traffic controller from Anchorage. And here's what he said. Dr. Gibbs, my job is to get you home. But you've got to listen to my voice. If you don't listen to my voice, you are going to die. Listen to my voice. What would you do? We have a problem, though. We can't find you. We don't know where you're at. So through a series of maneuvers, they were able to find him on the radar. And here's what the air traffic controller said. You can't see me, but I can see you. You can't see me. I can see you. Listen to my voice. And of course, Dr. Gibbs said, yes, sir. The bad news is you're four minutes from flying that plane into the side of a mountain. But listen to me. I've got one job. That's to get you home. But you have to listen to my voice. So they froze all the traffic. Nobody's in the air in that space but this one little puddle jumper between the Aleutian Islands and Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> the controller said, I've got more bad news. Oh, wow. How many of you know that's how it happens in life? Car breaks, water heater breaks, dishwasher breaks. Isn't that how it happens? He said, I've got more bad news. The weather between you and Anchorage is rough. It's going to be a rough ride. But I've got one job. That's to get you home. But you have to listen to my voice. You're going through a storm, the controller said. Please hear this. If you watch the storm, you'll die. Trust my voice. I'll get you home. Miraculously. So there's all of these other voices on the radio. I've never been on, on but apparently when, when you hear, when you're on air traffic radio waves, there's all sorts of other communications. He said, you got to put all of that other noise out of your head. You can only listen to my voice. And how many of you have lived through the, where there's so many voices coming against you, coming into your head? And he said, just listen to my voice. He said, I'm going to bring you down and I'm going to line you up to the runway and you're not going to see it. He said, but here's what I, I need you to know. When the lights of the runway come into view, you'll know that you're going toward the runway because they're in the shape of a cross. And he said, the air traffic controller said, the cross will get you home. And he said, please just stay with me. Jesus said it this way. My sheep know my voice. He said, you're going to have to land the plane blind. Listen to me. Keep your eyes on the cross and you'll land this plane. If you'll listen to me, keep your eyes on the cross, you'll get on the ground. If you listen to me and, get on, and keep your eyes on the cross, you will get home. 
miraculously, Dr. Gibbs was able to land that plane by doing those two things. Listen to the voice, kept his eyes on the cross. Story doesn't end there. I mean, it was a, obviously, can you imagine what it would feel like when that plane stopped and you're still breathing? Oh, by the way, when Dr. Gibbs told, tells a story, he says that the pilot woke up as soon as the plane stopped. I'd have probably slapped him. So all is well, and, and, the air, and, and they, they put Dr. Gibbs up in a hotel room. And early, early, early the next, vo- the next morning, a knock came to Dr. Gibbs' hotel room. And he opened the door, and the voice said, Hey, David. And Dr. Gibbs said, You're the voice. You're the voice that got me home. One day, you are going to stand face to face with the voice that got you home. we're going to pray together. And, and I, I believe that there's, there's two kinds of people that need to respond to this. Listen, I, I, maybe, maybe 50 different kinds of needs, but I, I want to talk about two especially. The, the, first, the first one that I want to I, I respond to this prayer is that you're in a storm. And you need to hear the Savior's voice to lead you out. Hey, with nobody looking around, I just just need to know who I'm talking to. If that's you, you're in a storm and you need to hear the Savior's voice. I want you to put your hands in the air. Amen. Or maybe you're here and there's someone in your family, someone that you consider family, is far from God and you need God to miraculously you need them to hear the voice of the Lord as never before because they've heard you and they can shut you off but you need the voice of the Lord to speak clearly to someone in your family somebody you consider family I want you to raise your hand here's what I need you to do guys listen just would you just slip out of your seats and let's just gather around this altar and pray together Would you just slip out of your seats and gather around this altar? And let's talk to the Lord. I want to pray for you, and I want want us to pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You can stand. You can kneel. Maybe you're still at your seat, but somebody you love, somebody you care about is kneeling or standing at this altar. You might want us to slip behind them and Put a hand on their shoulder. Let them know you're praying for them. And speaking of family, that's what we are. We are family here. We pray for each other and we love each other. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Before we ask him of anything, you know what we're going to do? We're going to thank him for his goodness and his grace and his love and his mercy. God, you're so good to us. The scripture we read this morning, Lord, we, you said that you, you, were, you were doing now what you planned to do long ago. 
And so, God, we believe that in hearts and lives that you are doing now what you planned to do long ago. Father, we believe you and we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your love, and your mercy. And God, if I can, if I can hear tears around these altars, I know you can. So God, do what only you can do. Look, God, there's storms and, and, and we're, we're conflicted because we hear so many different voices in our head. But God, help us to focus only on yours because we know that's the voice that will get us home. That's the voice that will get us through a storm. That's the voice we need to focus on. So God, those that are in this altar, those that are still sitting in their seats that would say, we are in a storm. I'm in a storm. God, I pray that as never before, you speak clearly to them. God, as they do their part and open your word, and as they do their part and, 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 and pray day after day, seeking your face and your hand and your heart, God, that you speak clearly to people as they're walking through difficult times and difficult storms. God, God, let them hear these words today. You might not be able to see me, but I can see you. And I know where you're at and I know what you're walking through. And I know how hard it is. And if you'll listen to my voice, I'll get you home. God, I pray for those that are in this altar, pray for, for sons and daughters for parents and spouses, for aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews who are far from God. God, we've done all we know to do. We've, we've, we've tried to live a life in front of them. We've tried. So God, I just pray supernaturally as only you can. God, would you cause them to hear your voice? in the midst of all the other noise, all the other voices. God, I pray that you bring a prodigal home. I pray, God, that you would bring lost loved ones and aunts and uncles and children and parents. God, that you would draw them by the, by the soothing love and power and compassion of the Holy Spirit. God, wrap arms of love and compassion around and draw men and women, teenagers and children to the cross of Christ because we have heard that the cross is what will lead us home. And God, I pray that you teach us to be salt and light in front of them, to not be abrasive with our faith, but to be kind and firm and an example of what a life by faith can look like. It's our prayer today, God. God, I've seen you do this very thing in my own family, and I know you're no respecter of persons. Draw men and women and children and teenagers to you, oh God. And we pray a very dangerous prayer right now. A very dangerous prayer. God, whatever you have to do to draw them to yourself, do it, oh God. Your word tells us, Acts 2.38, believe on the Lord Jesus 
and you'll be saved and your house. And we receive that by not because we can see it, not because we can understand it with our physical sense, but your word tells us to receive it and believe it by faith, a firm conviction that you're a God who cannot fail and you'll do what you said you'd do. We believe it, Jesus. And now we thank you. We thank you with the same passion we would thank you as if it were already done. We thank you, God, for doing what you said you would do. We will live our lives in full response of our gratitude for who you are and what you do. We believe in Jesus. Oh, and, and here's what we know, that the enemy whispers in our ear. And he'll say, oh, that was just emotion. That was just a desperate prayer. God didn't hear your prayer. They're never coming home. God, we are just going to believe that it's okay for us to send the enemy back to hell where he came from. God, we believe, God, that you will do a great work in hearts and lives of men and women and children and teenagers. And we thank you for it. Here's what I believe. I believe somebody needs to stand on your feet with your arms stretched toward heaven and thank God for doing what you've asked Him to do this morning. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that's what we've prayed for. Maybe you've prayed for God's voice during a storm. I believe you're going to hear that voice as you turn your heart toward Him, as you make Jesus the center of your life. Would you stretch your hands toward heaven and worship God? Thank Him for... What you know is able. Even though you don't see it with your eyes, you don't hear it with your ears, you can't touch it with your hands, you believe it by faith in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Spirit of the Lord, I want you to do what only you can do and call men and women home. <laughs> Make it so, Lord Jesus. Make it so, Lord Jesus. Hey, now let's worship. Don's going to lead us. Let's just worship the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank the Lord like it's already accomplished. 
like it's already done. Yes, God. Come on, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with a voice of triumph is what Scripture says. Yes. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, I want you to know, if you'll put the name of that person you're praying for on your connection card, I promise you I'll be praying for them with you. I will do that. That's my commitment to you. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome, awesome afternoon.